Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for the opportunity to come before you and to open your word. God, as always, we pray that you would speak to us, to challenge us, to comfort us, to guide us to live a life that pleases you as we study your word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes we might look at our lives and want to say, that's just, that's whack. It's messed up. Our lives are not what we wanted them to be. They are not what we expected them to be. And so we struggle a little bit to figure out what do we do in the midst of life when it's that way. Maybe you've been there. I know there was a time in my ministry when I was on staff and like the staff was a total wreck. Everybody was just unhappy with each other. There were turf warfares. Everyone was sort of saying the other person wasn't doing the right kind of job. And it was miserable to go to work. That is not a fun place to be if you've been there. Like I had prepared for ministry, ready to do this thing, and I got tired. Tired of going to work and facing people that didn't like me. Tired of failure. All that stuff was there, and it just felt like things were not the way they should be. And when you're there, it's like, what do I do with this? It is not what I was expecting it to be. And maybe you know what that's like. Life is going to sort of happen, and there are going to be tough things that come our way, and we can't expect life to be perfect, though we want it to be. And then when it's not, maybe we're surprised, and we have to readjust our expectations, but, but we don't want to. We don't like it when life is messed up. Maybe you, you sort of train for the perfect job, right? You chose it, you went to school for some way to, to, to learn how to do this job, and then finally you got the job. Went through the interviews, best day of the world, that you got to go to this new job, and then you realize after a few weeks, you hate it. What do you do? It's not what you expected. Or maybe you got the job, and after a few weeks you realize... I'm not very good at this. And eventually, you lost what was your dream job. Life gets messed up. Maybe you've been to the doctor with someone you love or for yourself, and you get that diagnosis, and you realize that nothing's going to be the same from this moment forward. Things that you expected to do are just not going to happen, at least not in the way you were planning them to be. Life gets messed up. Maybe you're in a relationship. And you feel like, I mean, it's headed in one direction. This is the right person. And then one day you find out that person, and they don't feel the same way. And suddenly the relationship is broken off. And this, this thing that you've been building into is suddenly disappearing. And you've got to figure out how to live life without that person. And it feels like life is really messed up. Not what you were expecting. So what do we do when life is... Whack. How, how do we deal with that? This is the last in our series of Adulting 101, and maybe the most difficult because part of learning to be an adult is to understand that life doesn't always go the way we want it to go. What do we do then? How do we as followers of Jesus Christ deal with life when it's not the way we want it to be. That's what I want us to think about today in this last series. And to get at that, we're going to go back to the Old Testament Go to a book that we don't get to very often. It's called the Book of Job. Maybe you were looking in the bulletin this morning and you saw the name of the sermon title was Whack Job. Okay, that's not it. It's Whack Job. Job is the text for the message, all right? Now, we're a little clearer. Okay, so Job. 
Job, we think, may be the oldest book in our Bible. You think, well, Genesis should be the oldest because it talks about the beginning, but all this was written down at different times, right? So from the language we read there, I'm not a Hebrew expert, but this is what the Hebrew experts tell us. Job may be the oldest. So when we look at Job, we're going as far back in the written history of the Bible as we can go. Job is a little different from some of the other books of the Old Testament. Many of them focus on this big narrative that tells the story of the people of Israel from the very beginning through the kings and then in the prophets. All that is about the story of Israel. This sort of stands outside of that. We don't see as direct a connection. And it's interesting because it's like filled with poetry. But it's not poetry like psalms. I mean, psalms are a little more straightforward. Most of us are a little more familiar with that. It's worship language. Job is a little bit like poetic conversation. And it's a a little hard to get through, honestly. So we got the poetry that's in the big sort of middle of the book. But at the beginning, it's story. And the story goes a little bit like this. Job is a righteous and faithful man. In fact, he's so righteous and faithful that God, God takes notice of Job. And we think, man, it'd be really cool if like, God noticed me and thought, man, he's one of the most righteous, faithful people that are on the face of the earth. Job might beg to differ because it created a pretty difficult situation for him because it wasn't just God that noticed Job. It's also this new figure that we see who's called the accuser. Or literally, or translating the language over, Satan. Okay, so the accuser, Satan, enters the picture. And God and the accuser have this conversation. And it's all about Job. And the accuser does what an accuser always does. He accuses. God says, man, look at Job. He is faithful. He is righteous. And the accuser says, I don't think so. I think you're wrong there, God. I think Job is faithful to the blessings that you've given him. I think Job's faithful to you because you've given so much to him. And, you know, if you look at Job's life, the accuser had a point. Because really Job had everything a man in the ancient world could want. Job had it, all right? Job had wealth. Now, he didn't keep it in coins, didn't keep it in a bank. The way you held your wealth in the ancient world was animals. And Job owned thousands of animals. He is a very wealthy man, and this provides well for him and for his family. He has servants. He has a wife, and they have children together. So Job has heirs. He has someone to pass all this on to. Job has everything. And the accuser says, I bet if you took some of that away from Job, you wouldn't find him to be so faithful and righteous. And God says, all right, let's just see about that. Take some of it away, but don't touch him. And so the accuser got to work. And the the accuser took away all of his animals. They're all stolen or killed. His children and their families are killed. His home is taken away. Everything is stripped away from Job except his wife and his own body. There is nothing else left. How does Job respond to that? We find that back at the beginning of the book. And if you can't find Job, it's like right in the middle. If you open your Bible to the middle, it's Psalms, go one book left, you'll be in Job. 
And we read these words. This is Job's response to all that happened there. Verse 20 of chapter 1, At this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, all signs of grieving, okay? Then he fell to the ground in worship, in worship, and he said this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Now here's what I know. If everything I had was taken away today, my house, my cars, all the money I've got, if my children were taken away and I was left with nothing else, this would not be my response, okay? I am not Job. But this is what Job says. He says, listen, God's blessed me, but you know, I came into the world with nothing. I'm going to leave with nothing. And in the midst of all this, God is the same and God deserves to be praised. Verse 22, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So he remains faithful and righteous even though he's lost everything. God says, see, I told you. I told you Job would remain faithful. That's the kind of person he is. And the accuser does what an accuser always does. He accused Job. And he said, listen, yeah, Job remained faithful through all this. Big deal. He's still got his health. He's still got his own body. I bet, I bet if we took that away, Job would curse you. And God says, okay, take his health, but don't kill him. And the accuser got to work again. And he gave Job sores from the very top of his head all the way to the soles of his feet. And Job was miserable. And Job's wife comes along and she speaks to Job and in a real helpful way in verse 9 of chapter 2 she says, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. It's always good to be encouraged by your spouse. (laughs) Give it up, Job. I mean, what else is there? There is nothing left of your life. Why is it that you're trying to be so faithful to God in the midst of all this struggle? And even with that, Job responds, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. God gives some good stuff, and there's times when God doesn't give us exactly what we want. And that really is one of the keys to this whole book, is understanding that that we may not get what's going on. And it's true, right? Job was not privy to those conversations between God and the accuser. He wasn't there. He didn't know all that was said. He doesn't understand everything that God's doing, and he, he got that. He recognized that. And that helped him remain faithful to God, the same God who blessed him, even when stuff was not like he wanted it to be. Now, After that takes place, it's like we want to say, okay, the end. But there's a whole lot of Job left after this. In fact, there's like 40 more chapters that are left. So there's a big part of the story. And what we find in the middle intervening part is Job has three friends that come along and they want to help him out. And so they go back and forth talking to Job in this poetic language that goes on for many, many chapters. And basically what they tell Job is this. 
You deserve everything that's happened to you. Again, Job seems to surround himself with very helpful people, right? It's your fault, Job. Now really what they're saying to Job is more like this. Look at your life. And this is some pretty bad stuff that's happened to you. It didn't happen by accident. Search your heart. Search your life. Search your words, because surely you will find something going on in your life that has offended God. Something has happened here that has made God mad. You have royally ticked the Lord of the universe off, okay? And that's why this is happening. So figure it out, so then you can go back to God, and you can repent. And maybe God will forgive you. And Job's response to his friends over and over is, I don't know, I, I don't see it. I have tried to remain faithful to God. I don't understand why this is happening. I don't know what it is I should repent of. Now, I think sometimes we, we get a little bit of what's going on there, right? Because sometimes something bad happens in our lives. Maybe, again, it could be work, family, relationships, health. And, and maybe one of our first reactions is, I must have done something wrong. God is punishing me for something that I've done wrong. So, so we get a little bit of what Job's friends are saying, but Job is still not seeing it. So this goes on for 36 chapters, okay? All this back and forth. Job, it must be your fault. Job, what have you done wrong? And then finally, at the end of this, Job has another friend who shows up. Same message. And after all that conversation, God is like, okay, enough. I've heard enough from all of you. And he addresses Job specifically in chapter 38. And this is what God says. Chapter 38, verse 2. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? What does that mean? You don't know what you're talking about, right? Words without knowledge is, you know what you're talking about. You are messed up. And then God says, now this is, there's lots of lines I don't want to ever hear from God. This is way up on top of the list, okay? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. I do not ever want God to say that to me, okay? But that's what he says to Job. Listen, get ready, because the questions are coming your way. And it begins with this. Where were you? All right, big talker. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know, Mr. Smart Guy. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On, on what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Did you see all that, Job? Because I don't remember you being there. And God goes on for two chapters. Question after question after question. Job, were you there when I created the earth? Were you there when I created the universe? Were you there sustaining any of that? I don't remember your presence in the midst of any of that, Job. You don't know what you're talking about. And God is saying, I 
am God. And Job, you're not. You're not God. You don't understand what's going on here. God was present. God saw the suffering. But Job didn't understand God's perspective on all this. Then in chapter 40, Job tries to respond a little bit to what God is saying. And we read that, Job 40, beginning in verse 4. This is a pretty smart response in my mind. I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer twice. But I will say no more. I'm not going to say another word. And then God goes on. More questions. It's just like a battering ram. Over and over, these questions hit Job. He has no answer. God is continuing to say, I'm God. You're not. And then finally, God finishes... Job repents, even though God has never said, Job, you've sinned, but it's like he's got to change the way he's thinking, so he's repenting of his thinking. He's going to change the way he approaches God. God says, Job, what you need to do because you're righteous and faithful is pray for your friends who have caused so much trouble, and then God restored everything to Job. End of story. So what does it teach us? What does Job's story teach us, this interaction with God? Well, one thing I think it teaches us, two, two things that help us understand suffering. First of all, suffering isn't always the result of sin. That's part of what God's saying. All of Job's friends, from beginning to end, say, Job, this is your fault. This wouldn't have happened if you hadn't done something wrong. God says, Job, you've been faithful. You are righteous. Now, you don't understand all this. Your questions don't make sense because you don't have my perspective. But God never says this was Job's fault. Never says this is Job's sin that caused this. So we need to sometimes get rid of that. Now, there are times in our lives when we know my current suffering is caused by my past sin, right? There are times when we have to pay the consequences for stuff that we've done wrong. It happens. It happens in relationships, jobs, all kinds of places. But there's also times when bad stuff just happens. I mean, it just happens. And it's not God's punishment, and it's not because we've done anything wrong, and it may not be because anyone else has done anything wrong. It just happened. And so we need to be careful about assuming what's going on right now, even though it's bad, and since it's bad, it must be God's punishment. Well, not necessarily. It might just be something bad. Okay? So we need that. Second, it's best to respond to suffering in faith. That's where Job gets to. I mean, he really starts there, but it deepens as we go through the story. And he recognizes with all these questions who God is in a new way. And that's better for us. As Christians, it's our responsibility to say, okay, life is not perfect. It is not what I want it to be. And yet, God is still God. And when God put really good things in my life and it was the way I wanted it to be, I praised God for it. And now God's sort of moving in a different direction. I don't necessarily understand it, but this is still the same God. He's still present. He's still active in my life. And so we can respond as Job did in worship and recognizing that God is God and I'm not. 
Now, with those two things in mind, it leads us to this, this simple, simple message. God is with you. Even when life's whack. Even when it's messed up. God is there. Now, as we think about this big problem, and we're thinking about one of the real problems of all of humanity, and even as, as Christians, one of the difficult things that we have to deal with, why do bad things happen? Especially why do bad things happen to seemingly good people? And the answer that we find in Job, if I'm candid, is not completely satisfactory for us. In fact, I don't think that we find an answer all the way through the Bible that is totally satisfactory, makes that problem go away. If it did, we wouldn't be talking about it this morning. Okay? What I think we can do as followers of Jesus Christ is take what God has given us and let it sort of come at this problem from, from various angles, and Scripture does that. And here's one of them. Part of what we're reading here is, in this story, you're not alone. Okay, that doesn't make the suffering go away, but here's what I know. Suffering is bad. I mean, it's called suffering for a reason. We don't enjoy it. We don't want it. We don't want any part of it. We don't want it for people we love. It is bad. But there is one thing that makes suffering worse. Going through it alone. Suffering is bad enough in and of itself, but it is worse when I've got no one to walk with me through it. It is worse when there's no one to talk to about it. And part of the message of Job is that never happens with us because God is always there. God is always there. When your life is awesome, God's there. And when your life feels totally messed up, God is still there. And you do not have to endure it by yourself. Now, I think God provides friends and family, people in this room, people that we love, that walk with us through that. But He also is there Himself. And remember the God we're talking about. That's part of the reason for all these questions. Hey, Job, I'm with you. And remember, I'm the one created everything you see. I'm the one, the stars up there, yep, made those. Sun, all that. The seas, all the animals, human beings. I created and sustain all of that. So if I'm with you in the midst of this suffering, it's not just some flippant little, yeah, I'll be there. This is the God of the universe present in the midst of what may be the worst times of your life. And that matters. That makes a difference. God is with you, even when life is messed up. And maybe, maybe your life feels a little messed up today. Or, or maybe you're feeling the after effects of when life was messed up a long time ago. It's still, I mean, a piece of that feels like it will never go away. God is with you. God is walking beside you. He knows that. He knows everything. That, again, is part of the message of Job is God knows. God is aware. And He is active and present beside you in the midst of suffering and after it's over. You're not alone. God's with you even when life is messed up. Let's pray together.
God, we come before you today and we are not afraid to say, God, we ask that you would end our suffering. I don't know what everyone in this room is going through, but there's certainly someone who's hurting. And God, we boldly ask that you would take it away. And we also know there are times that you don't. And we don't always understand that. But God, today we're trying to respond to that in faith and in righteousness and in the knowledge that you are still with us regardless. So God, show us your presence. Make us aware that you are with us, even in the midst of the most difficult times of life. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. What separates us from God is our sin. There's a consequence that we have to pay. But he also deals with that. He offered his son so that we wouldn't have to pay the price for our sin. So if you're ready to accept the gift of forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus Christ, we'd love to talk with you about that, how we put our faith in Christ and repent of our sins and we're immersed into him. If you're ready to make that decision, let us know about it. Come forward as we sing our invitation. Let's stand together.